Thank you for tuning in to Along the Way. I appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. I wanted to take a moment and re-release an episode that I did earlier with Bill Federer, Discovering Miracles in American History. It is important that we know the history of our nation, where we came from, really determines where we're going. And if you don't understand the past, then you won't be ready for the future. If you don't learn from the past, you are doomed to repeat it. So take this moment and listen to this podcast. I hope that you learn something that interests you and that you dive deeper into the true American history. Anytime that I have the opportunity to talk with Bill Federer, it is always a blessing to me. And it always leaves me wanting to know more about the truth of our history. And now here's a rear of episode number 67 with Bill Federer, Discovering Miracles in American History. Enjoy. It's not a time to be afraid of the crisis. God knows every dirty deal that every wicked person is is planning in the back room, has planned in the back room, and will plan in the back room. He knows all that, but he put us here at this time because he wants to give us an opportunity to let him minister in this world through us. And so it's an exciting time to be alive. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. For this episode, I'm joined by one of the smartest people that I've ever met, William Bill Federer. He is a walking encyclopedia when it comes to history. He is able to communicate the patterns of history and the root causes of world events better than anyone I've ever known. He is not just a history fanatic, but he has also compiled a collection of miracles in American history, and those stories actually became a regular segment on one of my old TV shows. God has truly been at work in world history, and it is vitally important that we learn from the past so that we not only don't repeat it, but we also can carry on the advancements of great men and women and continue to try to advance the kingdom of God. In this episode, Bill shares how he got into history and how being volunteered to teach his Sunday school class changed his life. I appreciate what Bill said in the clip that you just heard. God did put us here for this time, and it is an exciting time to be alive. So let's make sure that we are taking the opportunities God is giving us to minister to this world. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and that you'll subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in my show notes, and you can check out all of my episodes at my website, alongtheway.media. I've organized my episodes by themes and types. There is an easy way to join my email list, and you can find out more about me too. I hope you check it out and that you let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you'd like to help me to continue to put up these along the way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash along the way and select the level that you'd like to join at. The link to become a Patreon supporter is also in my show notes. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes. I'm also doing one of the Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast, also on the Charisma Podcast Network. There are new episodes of Charisma News Monday through Friday. And now, here is my Along the Way conversation with Bill Federer. 
Well, Bill Federer, it's great to have you on Along the Way. It's wonderful to have you here because we've had the opportunity to work together many times at Cornerstone Network on the Real Life program and now even on the Hope Today program. And you're somebody who I always appreciate whenever you get to to be with us because you have some of the most encyclopedic knowledge that I have ever met. You, I, I joke and say that you're a walking encyclopedia, and I don't really think that's a, that that's a joke. I mean, you are just filled to the brim with very useful knowledge and and how history has repeated itself over the ages, and some of the things that you have said over the years with me has really helped me kind of be able to process what's going on in our world today. And so, Bill, I appreciate all the work that you've done with the Miracles in American History segments that you've done for the Real Life program and all the stuff that we've been able to do with you. And I'm excited to be able to share your story with my Along the Way audience. So welcome to Along the Way. Well, thank you, John. It's great to be with you. And you are tremendously professional, and you're very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and uh, it's an honor to having been working with you with the times I've been at Cornerstone. Yeah. So, Bill, I know you because of the times that we've worked together, and you are the history guy. But you haven't always been the history guy. You had to like learn all those things along the way. I'm sure you've had some different twists and turns in your own journey with the Lord. And I want to just hear about your story of how God has led you to where you are today. Yeah, well, my dad was an attorney historian, and every vacation growing up, we would go to French forts, Spanish forts, Indian reservations, Civil War battlefields, Kit Carson's, you know, place. And I knew history peripherally. Uh, he had a library in the house and uh, sort of a little corner uh, in, in our house that uh sometimes i you know you'd sneak away to and pull a book off the shelf and read about the greeks or you know the revolution and uh there was always fascinating there there was always more than i could grasp but uh anyway um it was through my wife we were dating at the time that i came to know the lord uh she and her she was living with her mom her parents were divorced and uh, her mom would always be watching Christian TV and I would oh. sort of humor her by sitting down and watching her while my date and wife to be was getting ready. And, uh, I would watch the Christian, she would always be watching Christian TV. And then she would always be inviting me to Christian, uh, businessmen's dinners and things. And I would always have an excuse. Finally, one time I ran out of excuses. I went, I heard somebody preaching the gospel and and all i remember is uh thinking that this person knows jesus better than i know jesus mm. that i could pretend i know jesus but he's talking about praying and having god directing him and getting answers to prayers and being led by the spirit and this was something i i knew that i didn't have when i was being honest with myself i went up afterwards shook his hand that didn't do it uh, he was a pastor in town, went to the midweek service, and at the end of his message, he said, who wants more of God? Come forward. And I'm like, well, should I, should I not? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go for it. And um, anyway, it's been an exciting uh, ride ever since. My degree was in accounting, and we were living in Tulsa, and my wife was going to a Bible school, and she had volunteered us to teach junior high Sunday school. I didn't even really know what that was, <laughs> because the church that we were raised didn't have those type of things. And I thought, well, I have a college degree. I can talk to some kids and uh, sort of humorous. I remember the first class 
and just sort of winging it and saying, well, you know, there's Adam and Abraham and Noah. And this little girl raises her hand and she says, Noah came before Abraham. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, you know, I'll talk to you after class, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I remember going home, opening up the Bible and said, honey, that kid was right. Noah did come before. I mean, here I had been to a church that had snippets of the gospel read. And I thought that, you know, being in my early 20s, I had surely heard all the Bible by now. Uh, but I realized there was a whole wealth that I did not know. And uh, so I would have to study in order to have something worthwhile to say and not to have these kids be able to um, find fault with it. And that's actually the best way to learn uh, is when you have to teach something, uh, you have to learn it ahead of time. Uh, And so I recommend the church model that wants to include raising people up into leadership. It involves giving people responsibility and they'll rise to the occasion rather than saying, well, you don't know enough. You could never do it. So don't even bother. So my experience has been availability, not ability. In other words, you make yourself available for the Lord to use and he'll add the ability along the way. Right. Right. Anyway, uh, I remember we were teaching some class Now, by this time. It's a Bible class for adults and we were at a different church and there was a Haley's Bible handbook that was a familiar book for people studying the Bible. And in the front, it had a couple pages of quotes about what some famous people said about the Bible. And I thought, this is interesting. Uh, I'm going to go to the library and check out a book about quotes about what famous people said about the Bible and couldn't find one. And so I began to read through this huge volume of books. It was called The Messages and Papers of the Presidents. It was every past president up to, you know, this was in the early 1990s. And then uh, I was reading through state constitutions. And I was amazed that virtually every president and every, (laughs) you know, inaugural address, they would mention God. They would have days of prayer, days of thanksgiving, even days of fasting. But, whoa, here's John Adams having a day of fasting during the threatened war with France. Here's James Madison having a day of fasting during the War of 1812. You know, Zachary Taylor having a day of fasting when there's a cholera epidemic sweeping the country. Even Lincoln had a day of fasting during the Civil War. And even Woodrow Wilson, when we entered World War I, had a day of fasting and prayer. Hmm. And Woodrow Wilson actually gave out New Testaments to the soldiers and wrote the foreword to it. And Teddy Roosevelt did the same thing, and, and even Franklin Roosevelt. And so I would read through these. Someone had given me their old 386 computer, for those oh, wow. not familiar okay. with computer evolutions. Uh, this is a black screen with white letters that sort of blinked. <laughs> it was before the invention of Windows mm-hmm. and all the, the nice apps that we have today. And there was no internet yet. And so I would do the research. I would find these quotes that mention God and I would type them in and then I would print them out and hand them out to the class. And it kept getting thicker and thicker. And you get this big stapler that could staple through a whole big stack of papers. And I would pass them out to the class. And then someone suggested that I get it typeset and turn it into a book, uh, which I did. And it was called America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. And the book went on in, in the next 20 years to sell over half a million copies. Oh, wow. Even had you know lawyers and teachers and professors and students and all kinds of people tell me they've used the book. Matter of fact, it's sort of interesting. 
other books that I've written, people said, oh, I've read your book. This particular book said, oh, I use your book. Hmm. In other words, it's a 845-page book of quotes arranged alphabetically with Abigail Adams, William Bradford, you know, and Charles Dickens, Jonathan Edwards, I mean, just all, all through Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, Franklin, and it has, you know, 100 pages of endnotes and wow. was even humbled to have the Supreme Court use the book. So there was a case in 2014 called the City of Greece, New York, where they were opening their city council meeting with prayer in Jesus' name. Hmm. ACLU sues, and the Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy writes the decision, and he says, look, it's okay. Even our Continental Congress opened with prayer in Jesus' name, gives the prayer, and then it cites the source. It says, W. Federer, America's God and Country. Oh, that's cool. My friends that write history books, they're like, how did you get the Supreme Court to mention your book by name in the decision? And it's a good decision. (laughs) Yeah. And so that book opened the door for me to um, do more speaking and more writing and went through a wave of probably about 10 years where I was doing hundreds and hundreds of radio interviews from morning till night. Mm. Uh, You know, I'd be with my family we'd pull over to gas station and they'd sit in the car while i do some interview in new york i remember i did an interview on michael reagan's show for my brother's garage uh, trying uh-huh. not to trip over tricycles uh, i'd be doing a late night interview uh at one o'clock in the morning and, and i would be on the couch with the little portable phone resting on my head and, and i would be pinching myself saying don't fall asleep yeah, you're, really. you're live on the radio and, and then it would be these morning days where i would have an interview from you know six ten to six fifteen in chicago and then, you know, 6.18 to 6.30 in, in Los Angeles. And then from 6.30 to 6.45 in Denver. And it's sort of funny. I'd be doing the, the interviews, and then I would have this flash deja vu moment, hmm. which was, did I tell this story already in this interview? Or <laughs> did I tell the story in the last interview? And my mind sort of, you know, slipped a gear. And I was like, I don't want to tell the same story twice. But um, I still could be doing that but then i decided to to channel into doing some tv stuff and then writing some more books and then doing uh speaking so i'd get speaking engagements Mm -hmm. around the country i don't know if that answers your question or not but i do tell people when i speak to students i'll sort of do a little exercise with them i'll say look around the room Uh, and they would look around the room i said now everything you see was once an idea in somebody's head Mm. Somebody thought of the building that you're in and sketched it out and gave it to an architect and said, build me something like this. Somebody thought of the chair you're sitting in, sketched it out, gave it to a manufacturer, says, make me something like this. Right, Thomas Edison thought of the light bulb. You know, Steve Jobs thought of the iPhone. <laughs> right, right. And somebody thought of the clothes you're wearing. They thought it, they sketched it out and they gave it to a seamstress and a manufacturer and they sold me something like this. Uh, if you're wearing glasses, you know, Ben Franklin's the one who came up with the idea of bifocal glasses. And somebody thought of a pen that clicked. Uh, I mean, the shoes you're wearing, somebody thought of that, designed it. It was all a thought. And they just took that thought and they worked with it. And it eventually, over time, turned into a product that is a blessing to you and a blessing to other people. And so I, I answer by saying the answer to the world's problems are thoughts that the good Lord wants to put into your head Hmm. and you work with it. It was Edison who said uh, it's 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Right. 
as, as long as it's a, it's a thought to help people, mm-hmm. not a thought, well, you know, how can I cheat at a gambling machine? Uh, how can I sell marijuana better or something? No, it's a, a thought that really can help people. Right. Then you can think, well, maybe this is God giving me this thought. And if it can, you know, be a blessing to other people and it can help provide, you know, for you and your family, the answer to the world's problems are thoughts that, that God wants to put into your head. And of course, ultimately, you were a thought in God's head. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking um, God exists for eternity and, and we really can't comprehend eternity because it's, it's, it goes back for eternity, goes forward for Here's God exists for eternity. You know, he, he could have spent an eternity just planning you. Hmm. Just, just you could have spent another eternity planning the next person. I mean, in, in other words, you're a thought, and, and God thought of everything about you, and he designed you, and he wanted you to be the way you are, and that he's got a plan for you. You look at nature, there's all kinds of different birds and bugs and animals and you know we'd go snorkeling and you'd see a gazillion type of fish with all kinds of little colors everyone is designed a little differently and they do something a little different but they all work together to make this world work god has a plan for each person Mm -hmm. for them to do something unique with their life that he'll be able to manifest his love for people through you he'll be able to come up with a an invention, an idea that can help people through you. I'll, I'll stop That's there. Good. So, how did you, how did those students in that classroom respond to that? You know, their eyes opened up. I usually I, I give a talk with George Washington Carver, and he's the yeah. one who came up with the hundreds of uses for the peanut. And uh, one of his quotes, he says, "No books go into my laboratory. The thing I'm going to do and the way of doing it are revealed to me. Without God to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless." And so it's this idea that you have a spiritual ear listening to the Lord, being sensitive to his leading, and he gives you ideas. And again, if it's an idea that that ultimately wants to help people, then you can pretty well think that that idea is probably from the Lord. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it because, you know, sometimes we just think this thing in the room, it came from Amazon, you know, or it came from wherever, whatever store you might have picked it up from. But really, it did come from an idea. You know, our nation came from an idea. And you talk a lot about miracles in American history and about the founding of our nation. And right now in our country, those foundations are really under attack. I want to hear what you have to say and your thoughts about the importance of our national history and especially how it relates to our faith or how our faith has affected our national history. Tell me what you're seeing now in our world. Yeah, so I like big picture things. And so one of my books, I decided I would research every civilization that has ever existed on planet Earth. And I went back to the beginning of the invention of writing, Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley, right? That's between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Today, that's Iraq. Uh, That's when they invented cuneiform. Mm -hmm. That's considered the beginning of writing. Matter of fact, Neil deGrasse Tyson, an astrophysicist in his Cosmos TV series, uh, I think the episode in 2014, he said, it was here between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers that we learned how to write 5,000 years ago. So scientists today acknowledge that around 3,000 BC, writing was invented. So every recorded event that you know about happened within the last 5,000 years Hmm. where human beings wrote down 
human records. Well, let's look at these records. What do the records show? They show the most common form of government is a king. Nimrod, Pharaoh, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus of Persia, uh, Alexander the Great, Kublai Khan, Tamerlane, you know, the sultans of the, uh, the Ottoman Empire, the king of Spain, France, and Austria. And it's not just kings, it's each generation comes around with a king a little worse. Mm. Because with military advancements, you can kill more people and control more people and track more people. And so instead of Cain killing Abel with a rock, now they're killing with a bronze weapon or an iron weapon or a, a scimitar sword or a phalanx spear or a composite bow or gunpowder. The weapon changes, but all the weapon does is magnify what's in the person's heart. And so you have somebody with a fallen nature, they're going to want to dominate more. St. Augustine called it libido dominandi, the lust to dominate. Hmm. And so you put some babies in a playpen, one takes the rattle from the others. You put some kids on a playground, one is the bully hogging the ball. You put some junior high girls in a clique, and one of them is the diva. Mm -hmm. uh, you put some people in the woods, one of them is an Indian chief. And you put some people in an inner city, one of them is a gang leader. And it just keeps repeating itself, and these kingdoms keep getting bigger. And it's sort of interesting that the devil came to Jesus, and he says, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, because they've been delivered over to me, and I can give them to whoever I want. And, of course, you pause and say, when were they delivered over to the devil? Well, when Adam sinned, mm -hmm. right? So Adam was in charge of the garden, and we know that because he got to name everything. And naming is implicit that you have authority over. Interesting. So, Adam, you know, your parents name their children because they have authority. You're an inventor, and you can invent something, you can name it. Uh, you discover something, you can name it. And so when the Bible also says, to whomever you yield your members, servants to obey, to him you are a servant. Mm -hmm. So the moment Adam obeyed Satan, he was posturing himself in the servant position and elevating the devil to the master position. So that's when Satan became the quote unquote God of this world, which means God of this cosmos, this world system. Mm -hmm. And so the devil goes to Jesus, hey, I, I got all these kingdoms. They're all pyramid structured. They're all ruled by kings, rule through fear. You do what they say or they kill you. And obviously Jesus did not uh, do that, thank God. But the devil had the audacity to, to offer that. Now, there's an anomaly that stands out in history, and that's ancient Israel. So around 1400 BC, Israel comes out of Egypt, leaves the Pharaoh, and for 400 years, Israel does not have a king. It's ruled by the people. Each person is taught the law. And I use an illustration. You have an iPhone or a Samsung, whatever kind of phone, you have a GPS app. Mm -hmm. And so it can give you directions in real time. I mean, it can right. say in 500 feet, turn left. I mean, it knows exactly where you're at. Imagine if there was a behavioral app and it saw every circumstance you were in and it would tell you, it says, now don't steal that. I know you're looking at it. Don't be rude to that person. Don't be mean, right? It, mm -hmm. It's a behavioral app. And so in that sense, the Old Testament law was a behavioral software program, and the Levite priests were the computer geeks that help you to download the app. All right, you get some old person, how do you download this app? Well, okay, yeah. you go to Google Play, go to Apple Store, you press this button here, press this button, download it. And so the Levites are like, okay, line upon line, precept upon precept, and they would help each person to have their own copy of the law memorized on their heart. 
And then the big question is, why would you follow it? What would actually motivate you to follow an internal moral? Well, ancient Israel introduced the key ingredient. There's a God who is watching everyone. He wants you to be fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. And then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable in the future. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. Mm. And so it creates something in your head called a conscience, right? So you're about to steal, and then you think, oh, wait, God's watching me. Um, and he's going to hold me accountable in the future, and he wants me to be fair. Now, it only works with the God of the Bible. An Islamic Allah God says, hey, there's an infidel woman over there. You can rape her. It's okay. Uh, you can steal from this infidel, lie from that infidel. No, no, no. The God of the Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, there is no respect of persons in judgment. Anyway, so Israel's system worked as long as the priest taught the law to each person. When the priest stopped teaching the law, it fell apart. Mm. And so you have Eli, the high priest, his own sons are sleeping with women in the very tent where the Ark of the Covenant is. He's not teaching the law. Yeah, and then you have another story where there's a Levite with a silver graven image in the house of a guy named Micah. The tribe of Dan comes along and takes the graven image and tells his Levite, hey, come along with us. You can be a priest to our whole tribe. And then you're scratching your head thinking, what is this Levite doing with a graven image? Mm -hmm. Isn't it one of the commandments? You're not supposed to have them. It shows the Levites. And then there's this story of a Levite with a concubine. The law says the Levite is to marry a virgin of his own tribe. Here he is with the woman he's not even married to. And so they're traveling, and they're in a house surrounded by sodomites, and they bang on the door. The poor girl gets raped and dies. And by the time you're grossed out with the story, you read this line that, that says, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Why? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. Yeah. So they lost the, the awareness, the fear of God. They were no longer taught the law. And all they had left was raw, human, selfish passion. And it turned into chaos. And out of that chaos, they all go to Samuel the prophet. And they say, this self-government system is not working anymore. We want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. Mm -hmm. Samuel cries, and the Lord tells him, they did not reject you. They rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And then there's lightning that destroys their crops. And they said, we sinned in asking for a king. And so you, you have this model. You take the power of a king, of Pharaoh, you separate it into the hands of the people. It's chaos unless each person is taught the law. Why are they motivated to follow the law? They're accountable to the God of the Bible. Right. If there is no God or they're not taught about God and they're not taught the law, all they got is selfish passion. And so they're going to start robbing and stealing and killing. And it's going to turn into chaos. And then they're all going to say, we need someone to come in and restore order. And the rubber band snaps back mm -hmm. into the hands of a King Saul. I could go on more. No, this is good because as you're talking right now, I'm seeing parallels in our own world right now. We've taken God out of schools. We're not teaching people the Ten Commandments. We're taking that down all over the place. I mean, even in my own town, the Ten Commandments used to be in the front of the city building, and now it's in the back. And so we've taken away God's law in so many different places, and now we're not seeing God's order. We're not seeing the things that that God has designed us for, because as you were just saying, Israel, that wasn't God's plan for them to have a king. God wanted to be their king. He wanted them to be self-governed. So Saul, then David, and as I read the Bible, though, it's okay, there's 
this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king was okay. It's a constant up and down and up and down. How does a, a society get back to where it's supposed to be? It's, it's all personal. So all liberty is personal. All repentance is personal. And what does that mean? That means each person, including myself, has to personally get back to seeking the Lord. Now, it is interesting. So the founding fathers in America, they looked back to that ancient Israel period before King Saul. It's mm-hmm. called Assembly of the Israelites, a congregation Uh, people in covenant with each other, getting rights from God, accountable to God. The kings of Europe looked to the King Saul and after period, Mm -hmm. said, hey, look, God anointed one man and I'm that one man. And so that's where you have King James of England saying, hey, I'm the divine right of kings appointed king. And the Puritans and the pilgrims are like, no, 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 it's a congregational thing. Now, it has... Uh, significant implications because the hierarchical model where you have, you know, the king of England was the head of the church and then you have the bishops and the deaneries and vicars and curates and priests and it gets all down. It's a clergy laity model of church government. Mm. The clergy does the ministry and the laity watches. Sort of like the laity is lazy, right? Mm. The Puritans and pilgrims and reformers, they had a congregational model, which was everybody in the congregation is to be involved in the ministry at some level. Right. You know, you work in the nursery and you become faithful and then you work with the the junior high and and then you work with the senior high and then you become a deacon. and, And as you're he that's faithful in the very littles, right, trusted more than eventually you say, you know, I feel called to the ministry. And either in that church or you, you know, go off and start another work. But your whole goal is to teach people to follow your example so that they can be fully functioning Christians. And they can go off and teach people and this thing can multiply. And so when the pilgrims and Puritans settled America, they did this greenhouse experiment of congregational form of church government that they simply adapted for their congregational community government. Mm -hmm. And often they would have the community government meetings in the church, right? So they would have everybody in the church building and they would all talk church government stuff and they'd say, okay, let's fold that up, put it inside. Now we're going to start the government meeting. And they would meet in the church. And they would call them town hall meetings. And when the Revolutionary War starting up, Massachusetts has a British military governor named Thomas Gage. And he comes to America, he's like, Democracy is too prevalent in America. And he began to shut down these town hall meetings. Hmm. He says, we don't need the people meeting together and making resolutions. You you just do what the king tells you to do. It's hierarchical, right? It's top down. And, And so that is what's at play today. Because America, you know, kings have subjects who are subjected to the king's will. Republics and democracies have citizens where The word citizen is Greek. It means co-king. So it's a bottom-up, it's a we-the-people form of government. And each one of us is citizens. Each one of us is a co-king of America. So our founding fathers, for all their faults, people say, oh, the founders had all these faults and they were slave owners. For all their faults, they gave you a present. And that present is you get to be the king of your life. Mm-hmm. You can decide where you want to live, what career you want to pursue, who you want to marry, what church you want to go to, what clothes you want to wear, what food you want. You get to decide all these things. 
and together we are all co-kings of America. But what happens is, is when there's chaos, when there's all kinds of problems, people panic and they surrender all their freedoms to the government that promises to fix it. Right. And it sounds good, except what you're visualizing and seeing is a flip in the form of government. Instead of the people being in control, now it's a top-down, the government person is in control. Right. And when you go to a top-down form of government, the electricity that makes it work is fear. Mm-hmm. Right. So kings and centralized governments, whatever name you call them, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar, you know, Chairman Mao, Tung, whatever the name is, top down governments always are ruled through fear. You do what the government, you know, communist dictator tells you to do or you're you're dead. Ultimately, right, right. the bottom up form of government is ruled by virtue. Every citizen is a co-king. Every citizen has this self-government goes back to the pre king saul period of time every person is is accountable to god and they have self-control and you can feel safe mm-hmm. you can go everywhere because everybody is following this internal law that says do unto others as you have been doing to you so when you feel in your heart this feeling of going from feeling secure to being afraid what you're feeling is the polarity change in the flow of power mm. instead of power emanating from you right you get your rights directly from god and it's you with all the other citizens giving life to this government is now it's starting with the government and it's ruling top down. It's the difference between a dead pyramid being ruled top down and a living tree where every root and every Mm -hmm. little tiny capillary root participates in sucking in nutrients to help keep this bottom up thing work. That's really interesting, Bill. I like the analogy of the tree because I want to be part of something that's alive and growing rather than something that is made out of a whole bunch of dead bricks. I just appreciate your your knowledge and understanding of this whole process of how our country really got started. And, you know, I really appreciated all of the Miracles in American History segments that you've done with us. And I want to hear more about your story. But before we get there, can you share a couple miracles about how God's hand of providence was truly at work in this country? Well, during the Civil War, it looked like the South was winning. And Abraham Lincoln had a day of fasting and prayer to be observed, April 30th, 1863. And two days later, there's a freak accident. The South shoots one of its own best generals. Hmm. Here's Stonewall Jackson. He's arguably one of the best generals in world history. I mean, he had a smaller force, but he would move it here, there, and the other, and he would defeat bigger forces. And he was really tactically a successful general. Mm-hmm. And he is observing the battlefield at Chancellorville. He's outnumbered two and three to one, and he's winning. And he's coming back at twilight from looking at the battlefield. And his own men shout, stop who goes there. And before he can answer, they let off a volley of shots. Hmm. And hits him twice in the arm, once in the hand. He falls down, kills a bunch of people, kills a bunch of horses. And when they stumble through the twilight and find him, you know, they're carrying him. And then they drop him. His arm gets mangled, has to get amputated. And he dies a few days later. Now, just about every Civil War historian will tell you that if Stonewall Jackson had been at Gettysburg two months later, he was such a great general. There's a good chance the South would have won and the whole outcome of the war would have been different. But here's this freak accident that happens just two days after Lincoln had a day of fasting and prayer. 
Now, Stonewall Jackson himself was an exemplary person. He did not own slaves and so forth. But it was God's plan that slavery was going to be ended in America Mm -hmm. and that we should all be united as one. That's one story. Um, Another one is um, September 9th, 1813. What's that? So you have President James Madison has a day of prayer to be observed September 9th, 1813. The whole country's praying. And I mean, he sets it a couple months in advance. And so what happens September 10th? You have 28-year-old Oliver Hazard Perry, and he is a Navy captain. Most of his crew are free blacks from Ohio. They've all never really fought in a battle before. Mm-hmm. They build the, their boat, and they have to drag it into the water at Putten Bay, Ohio. And they get out there to confront the British squadron. Now, the British had just defeated Napoleon, mm. right? Napoleon had the entire French Navy, the entire Spanish Navy, and they're about to invade England. And uh, Horatio Nelson defeats them in the Battle of Trafalgar. So it was after that battle that you have one of the captains that was there. He's now on Lake Erie, and he's going to try to resupply Detroit. Mm-hmm. And he's got these boats filled full of, of Oliver Hazard Perry and his crew. And they, the British have long-range cannons. And they're firing these long-range cannons and splintering Oliver Hazard Perry's flagship to pieces. They expect him to surrender. Instead, he gets on a little rowboat, gets his flag, don't give up the ship, and he goes to his second ship called the Niagara. And by this time, the wind had changed the battle formations, and he takes his ship, Niagara, and he sails directly across the British line, and he's firing every cannon away like a madman. When he gets to the other side, about 15 minutes later, the smoke clears. He had disabled the entire British squadron. By himself. Right? Their masts were knocked over. And they couldn't move their ships in the sea. And um, he says, tells his men on deck, the prayers of my wife have been answered. Huh. And then he writes to the Secretary of Navy, and his almighty God came through and gives credit to God. But this prevented the British from resupplying Detroit. And so the Americans, with William Henry Harrison, so were able to capture Detroit and all the Northwest Territory and keep it in America's hands. It happened the day after President James Madison had set a day of prayer. So setting a day of prayer and fasting in the past has definitely been something that has changed the course of human events. Yeah. You know, God loves us and he wants us to love him back. You know, the more you love someone, the more you want that someone to love you back. God Mm -hmm. loves you infinitely. He has an infinite desire for you to love him back. But love, by definition, must be voluntary. The moment he would force you to love him, it's no longer love. It could be obedience, could be submission, could be all kinds of things, but it's not love. So he is wanting this voluntary response. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tell people, I said, you know, imagine if a husband twisted his wife's arm and says, tell me you love me. No matter what she says, she does not love him. Right. But if he protects her and rescues her and provides for her, and defends her and courts her and takes her to dinner and gives her flowers and chocolates and out of the abundance of her heart it bubbles up i love you then it means something that's sort of what god's after he's not after submit to me or i chop your head off Mm -hmm. if he wanted to make us obey he could have made us like any other animal in creation that just follows instinct 
right? No, but he's after this free will. You know, you bring the horse to the water, you can't make a drink. So he can't force us to love him, but he does have plan A and plan B. Plan A is he blesses us so much, we turn to him out of gratefulness. Yeah. If that does not work, there's plan B. He withholds the blessings, and we turn to him out of desperation. Yeah. So the bad things happening is not because he wants to punish us. The bad things happening is because he wants to have us turn to him, and the blessings haven't made us turn, so we're just choosing plan B. Yeah. Right? So the response is what? Turn to him. Repent. Come back to the Lord. And I think that he is desiring that. And I think as we get closer to the end times, he's going to do more shaking so that people that are uh, have structured their lives so much so that they never think about God. And he's going to shake things up so that they will have the opportunity to mm-hmm. turn to him in their time of desperation. But ultimately, all that are going to turn are going to turn. And those that refuse to turn and harden their heart, it's like he's going to turn it up all the way. And those are the ones that... Uh, the last book in the Bible is going to talk about. Yeah. So you're talking about a shaking and, you know, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You know, when it comes to our lives, you know, we're not just uh, blowing in the wind. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And whether you feel like that at the moment or not, he does have a purpose and a plan for your life. And he wants you to walk in that. And Bill, something you said a while ago in this conversation, you mentioned that as you were doing these radio interviews, you had some of these deja vu moments. And I've had a lot of those in my life too. I look at those as normally things where it's a confirmation that I'm in the place right then that God wants me to be in. That kind of brings me around to part of the themes uh, for this podcast. What has happened in your life, Bill, that has showed you that you've been walking with Jesus, but you didn't realize it at the moment. But when you look back, you realize it. Well, a whole lot. You know, I do want to throw out reading history. Every generation has crises. Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, you know, bubonic plagues. And the people that live during those crises have three ways to respond. They can be part of the problem. Hey, it's legal to sell marijuana. Let me make a buck. You know, or they can ignore the problem or they can be part of the answer and say, I want to minister God's love in to the hurting people in my generation. I want to stand up for righteousness in my generation. And so this is just our turn. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody that's listening, you know, that that you have the spirit of the Lord, you have uh, his word. In other words, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Right. And I believe that everybody's going to go through a time of testing. Uh, Here's Abraham, the father of faith. And Abraham has God tell him, I want you to uh, take your son that you really love, Isaac, to the top of the mountain and kill him. And Abraham was willing to do it. You know, what if um, Abraham said, well, God, you know my heart. No, God does know. He he did know it was in Abraham's heart, Hmm. but he wanted to see Abraham. In other words, God knows what's in your heart, but he wants to hear some words out of your mouth, and he wants to see some actions. Imagine a guy watching TV, and you come up to him and says, have you told your wife you love her recently? Nah, but she knows my heart. It's like, okay, have you done anything to show your wife you love her recently? No, 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 but she knows my heart. It's like, dude, you better start saying something and doing something. Yeah. And it's like, you know, have you done anything for the Lord? No, no, God knows my heart. It's like, okay, he wants to hear something out of your mouth. He wants to see some actions. And so the problems, the crises of every generation 
is the opportunity for us to say things and do things to let God flow through us in the era, in the crises that we're living in. Mm-hmm. It's not a time to be afraid of the crisis. God knows every dirty deal that every wicked person is, is planning in the back room, has planned in the back room, and will plan in the back room. He knows all that. But he put us here at this time because he wants to give us an opportunity to let him minister in this world through us. And so it's an exciting time to be alive. You know, there's a scripture that says that God will not allow any temptation or trial to come upon you that you don't have the you know, strength to stand up on it. He won't provide a way of escape. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm paraphrasing. but So you don't have to worry. He's given you the grace to be able to be victorious in any and every situation. And if you blow it, you repent and ask him to forgive you and ask him to, the word salvation comes from the word salvage, that we mess up. And we, part of the reason we mess up is because it keeps us humble because we have to, yeah. we have to keep going to the Lord saying, you know, forgive me, I, you know, wash me with the blood of Jesus. But um, God resists the problem, but he gives grace to the humble. Read the word and then try to listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit and then listen to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. You know, I figure... Man shall leave the father, mother, cleave to his wife, two shall become one. And so if the whole, if we're one and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to me, he's going to be speaking it to my wife. So oftentimes I'm pretty stubborn. And uh, I might hear way back in the back of my head or heart, you know, an inkling of direction of the Lord, but I'll like ignore it. Mm-hmm. But my wife will come out and she'll verbalize it. And it's like, okay, okay, I get, you need two or more witnesses to confirm anything. And so that's been my life is trying to, listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to my wife. <laughs> yeah. So, Bill, if you could go back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself, intersect with your own timeline, and give yourself some a piece of advice, what's going on in your life at that point, and what advice would you give yourself? Um, I wouldn't make all the mistakes that I made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Control my temper a little better. My prayer is that God goes before me and leads me. And that God goes behind me and cleans up all cleans up all the messes that I get myself into when I don't follow His leading before me. And that's where the word salvation comes from. The word salvage that we can salvage uh, the messes that we get ourselves into. We've had lots of miracles in our life. Um, you know, one time we were at a church working with you know doing all type of the home group meetings and mm-hmm. benevolence and the you know the hospital visits and prison visits and all these type of things. And we were driving old clunky cars that it would like die in the middle of the road. And my wife would have to, you know, have somebody push her. And it's like, uh, and we had somebody give us a, a brand new van, you mm-hmm. know, with nice cushy seat and everything. And, and that was a real miracle. And then uh, we were like renting a little rinky dink house. And um, the uh, person that owned the house we were renting from comes by and he sees this really nice van in the driveway. And he goes, where'd that come from? And we tell him the story. He goes, you know what? I'm going to give you the the equity in this house. And, you know, we've been there for several years renting it. And he just, he just signed the papers and it was now our house. Oh, wow. And then we had a builder and he heard about that. And so he decided, he says, you know what, I'll take that little dumpy house that you're in and I'll put the the money toward a brand new house. Mm. And so he did that. And so we wound up with the brand new house in Texas. And, And it was interesting because, before that first miracle thing happened, uh, we were thinking about going on the mission field to Australia. 
Ah. And I mean, we were like reading books on Australia. We got the kids' passports. I mean, we were like, and it was like right before we, you know, made a couple significant steps is when this person gave us the van and, and that turned to keep us obviously in America. But there's, you know, quite a number of stories like that, that God has showed himself faithful. Yeah. God is definitely faithful. And sometimes we just need to remember that. You know, that's why history is so important. In the Bible, you know, they would pile stones as an Ebenezer or as a uh, as a monument, as a landmark, something that would remind them of what God has done in the past. That's something that in our world today, it's really easy to forget what happened, what how God's been faithful in the past, because we're looking at the news and of course the news is sensationalizing everything in addition to how crazy the world is. And we need to really look back and see what God has done because his track record is faithful. And so if he's done it in the past, he's going to continue to do that in the future and in the present too. Yeah. And I found that that attitude where, you know, God told Moses, what is in your hand? He goes, well, a staff. And he goes, okay, you know, throw it down. It turns into a service. Do what you're able to do. Give what you're able to give. So, you know, you do your little part and then he does the big part. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled when Focus on the Family picked up my first book, America's Gotten Country, and they sold like 200,000 copies of it. Wow. And um, I talked to some of the people that worked there, and they said that it was the num- their number one selling book other than Dr. James Dobson's own books. Wow. And that over the years, I got a chance to meet Dr. James Dobson, and it was a real humbling experience. I ran for Congress a couple times, didn't win, but came close. But that was a whole mm-hmm. other learning experience, and God showed himself faithful through all that. But one of the things I found is uh, sometimes I'd feel, you know, I'm about ready to give a speech, and I'd feel real confident. And I'd go out there and I'd blow it. Hmm. Uh, not blow it, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be. But there's other times when I would, um, I'd feel like totally unprepared. And I mean, I, I would do my diligence and, and work on being prepared, but I would still feel like I, I was not prepared. And the, I felt the Lord speak to my heart saying, well, now I can use you hmm. because when you, when you feel unprepared and you step out in faith, it says without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. So when you step out in faith with this unprepared feeling on the inside, that's when he uses you the most. And if you're totally confident in your own ability and your own strength and your own wisdom, that's when you, you blow it. Mm-hmm. So I, I share that because some people may say, well, as soon as I get my life together, then I'll start doing something for the Lord. And it's like, it doesn't happen that way. You just let the Lord use you in all of your not togetherness. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll see him show up in a magnificent way. Yeah, that's really good. Bill. There's so much more that I want to learn from you, and we didn't even get to talk about your next book that's coming out, but you send out a daily email of the American Minute, all these different things. I want to give you an opportunity to tell people how to find your resources, which are phenomenal, by the way. You definitely need to do that. But Bill, how can we connect with you? Oh, thank you, John. My website is AmericanMinute.com americanminute.com i send out a free daily email called american minute and then i've written you know 25 books or so uh, uh, dvds and there's some of them they, they cornerstone mm-hmm. put together mm-hmm. that are the, the best and they're five to seven minutes per story and they're 
times in our country's past where there's a crisis, they pray and have courage and things turn around. My wife says, those are the most professional things that you've ever been a part of. They did such a great job there. So thank you and everyone at Cornerstone. And um, Dave Tucker's a great friend. Yeah, he's a but great I want to um, just encourage the listeners that, that God loves you. And the more you love someone, the more you want that someone to love you back. God loves you infinitely. He has an infinite desire for you to love him back. Hmm. The God of the universe has an infinite desire for you to love him back. But he can't force you to love him. Because the moment he would force you, it would no longer be love. It would be, you know, obedience or submission, but not love. And so here he is patient and we get this lifetime where we get to show our love back we'll all probably go through some crisis period that will squeeze us to the very core of our being and in that is when we really reveal who we are Mm -hmm. and it's usually we fall flat on our face before the lord say god help me i can't do this on my own I need you, I need you, I need you. And that's that's really all he wants. It yeah. says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he wants us to turn to him and surrender our lives to him and let him do a work on the inside. So instead of it being you being good enough to try to earn God's you know acceptance, he's already accepted you because you approach him through Jesus. Uh, Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of your sins but he's already accepted you and once you realize you've already been accepted that provides the joy to be able to do all the the good works mm-hmm. so you're doing the good works not checking off i'm earning credits in heaven no you're doing the good work because you're already accepted by god you're already a citizen of heaven and you're doing these good works because you just were filled full of his love and want to reach out and let him love the world through you. That's good. That's a really encouraging way to to end this interview, Bill. Again, I just appreciate all that I've learned from you and the many times that we've been able to spend together. And hopefully we'll be able to actually have you in person again at some point soon uh, because the conversations that you and I have had off of the set have been very beneficial for my life. So I just want to thank you again for that. And thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way. Well, thank you, John. And, and I appreciate you. And when I'm on the set, you, you pray before and after the programs. And I've never, out of the thousands that I've done, I've never seen that. And I just really have touched by you putting all of the excellent work that everyone does uh, before the Lord like that. And he blesses it as a result. Amen. And just to let everybody know, I will be putting links to Bill's information and the American Minute in the show notes. So just scroll down there. You'll be able to see how you can find Bill. And I'm even going to try to put in a couple of times where he's been on my program, uh, Real Life or Hope Today, or even just one of the segments that Bill was talking about that were put together uh, for the Miracles in American History segment. Bill, thank you again for allowing me to be your friend for allowing me to join you along your way. Thank you, John. Uh, Look forward to the next time. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill Federer. I always learned so much from talking with him. You know, it's important that we look back and learn from history. I'm sure you've heard that those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I want to learn from the past, mistakes and all, not tear it down. Bill talked about how internal morality actually first worked, and it's not surprising that God set up that system with his chosen people, 
what would actually encourage someone to be a moral person? What would actually motivate you to follow an internal moral? Well, ancient Israel introduced the key ingredient. There's a God who is watching everyone. He wants you to be fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. Israel's system worked as long as the priest taught the law to each person. When the priest stopped teaching the law, it fell apart because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. I don't know about you, but I am not a fan of needing to experience the same lesson over and over and over again because I didn't learn from my own mistakes. It's not fun and can be expensive to remedy those self-inflicted consequences. God will hold us accountable for what we've done. It worked as long as the priests were teaching God's law. In our world today, we are seeing what happens when God's law is no longer taught or respected. We all need to refocus on what is right in the Lord's eyes and not focus what is right in our own eyes. What Bill talked about with God's plan A and plan B was really eye-opening. You know, you bring the horse to the water, you can't make a drink. So he can't force us to love him, but he does have plan A and plan B. Plan A is he blesses us so much we turn to him out of gratefulness. If that does not work, there's plan B. He withholds the blessings and we turn to him out of desperation. So the bad things happening is not because he wants to punish us. The bad things happening is because he wants to have us turn to him and the blessings haven't made us turn. So we're just choosing plan B. So, so the response is what? Turn to him. Repent. Come back to the Lord. We need to repent and turn back to the Lord. As you look through American history, it is amazing to see just how many calls for national days of fasting and prayer there were. We, as a people, need to get back in line with God's plan A by repenting, prayer, and fasting. God loves us, but we need to choose Him again. I'm tired of settling for plan B. How about you? As we look at our world today, it is easy to become overwhelmed and feel like you can't make a difference. But what Bill said about not feeling prepared was pretty good too. I would do my diligence and work on being prepared, but I would still feel like I, I was not prepared. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart saying, well, now I can use you because when you, when you feel unprepared and you step out in faith, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. So when you step out in faith with this unprepared feeling on the inside, that's when he uses you the most. And if you're totally confident in your own ability and your own strength and your own wisdom, that's when you, you blow it. We need to rely on God, his strength, his wisdom, and his plan. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul wrote that, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God can cause things to work together for you. But my question to you is, have you responded to God's call on your life? If you haven't and would like to, it is as simple to start that process as asking Jesus into your life. Ask him to become the forgiver of your past and the leader of your future and he will start you on that plan A journey with him. If you want to make that decision to live for Jesus, please reach out to me. I would be honored to help you make the best decision for your life, as well as take the first step. And I promise that I will pray for you too. 
My contact information is in the show notes. If you would like to know more about Bill, his books, videos, and the American Minute, I'll be providing his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and through my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.